And so if we get to the purpose of buyer personas, then we can start to see how insane it is to think that having a picture assigned to a name, to a profile, is actually going to make a difference. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. Today, you'll hear an episode from our Takeover Tuesday series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Now, I am super excited about today's guest. I feel so unworthy that you're joining us here. This is Adele Rebella. She is amazing. She is, now a couple stats for you, the founder and the CEO of the Buyer Persona Institute. She literally wrote the book on buyer personas. Any guesses? It's called Buyer Personas. Her Twitter is literally Buyer Persona. And can I, can I say literally any more times in the next 60 seconds? I don't know. Okay, one more time. The name that literally everyone tells me when I talk about buyer personas and getting to understand your buyer is Adele. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you. Thank you, Casey, for, ha- for having me and for that very enthusiastic introduction. <laughs> well, that's how we <laughs> roll. Right? That's, it's, you know, we'll, we'll be throwing down the gauntlets, with, you know, pretty short order. So thank okay. you for coming. Yeah, I just want to remind everyone the theme for this month around the success index for marketing automation, how to really maximize marketing automation before you build that campaign you automate that process, click send on that, that email. You got to know who you're talking to. You got to know your buyer. And so many times we just go ahead and do some activity. We're not thinking about who's on the receiving end of that, selfishly even sometimes. So what I wanted to do was bring in here, literally, Adele, uh, to talk about more about understanding the buyer. And so you know, one of the things I wanted to start with is... You know, almost along the lines of this is hardcore marketing. I want the truth and I can handle the truth. What is the truth about buyer personas? Because they're, they're so popular and I've been marketing for so long that quite literally, they have said literally again, it, it, is, it, is, it is the thing that everyone talks about. But I think when you get so much hype, it turns yeah. into this hazy cloud of everyone throwing their two cents in and people talking about their buyer and and I might even say, give them, give them a name, but then we're not really sure what else, what else do you even put on a profile? And I'm sure there's a lot of myths. I don't know if you want to crush any of those right now off the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just start with that. Thanks for the throwing down the gauntlet there, Casey, because totally. I'm up for it, which is that <laughs> most of what passes for buyer personas uh, going around is just really useless. And it's it's so sad. It's it's why I wrote the book. Honestly, writing a book was the last thing I ever wanted to do. I mean, it was the worst year of my whole life. Writing yeah, that book. I'm doing that now. Um, it's torture. <laughs> oh, it's torture. I just I just rather have bamboo shoots under my fingernails. But oh, no. <laughs> um, I was so concerned about the like you said hype and frankly BS going around around yeah. you know like just sitting around. And this is all the BS. Sit in a room and just sort of think about your buyer and write it down in a template and then give them a, get a picture and give them a name and, right. and you're good to go. And I'm like, huh? Cause, cause 
This is not a buyer persona. This is a buyer profile. Okay. And so I want to just start out by making the distinction between profiling a person who could be your buyer. That's fine. And understanding their journey, understanding their decision, understanding what you need to do to have them say, yeah, I should think about solving this problem. I should think about solving it with you. And at the Mm. end of the day, I should buy from you. And knowing whether they have a dog and two cats and three kids and what they do after work or even how they spend their day. Blood time. Fine. None of that matters, huh? At the end of the day, it's like, you know, how are you going to sell whatever you're marketing to these people? How are you going to be helpful to your buyer? Because that's really the purpose. Mm. So we just got to get over it that this is about talking about us. That's like not helpful. Helpful. Totally. And we've got to say, okay, what are we going to do to help reduce the friction in the buying experience Mm. for buyers? And so if we get to the purpose of buyer personas, then we can start to see how insane it is to think that having a picture assigned to a name, to a profile, is actually going to make a difference. So so there's a real difference between a profile, almost like FBI profiler, and then persona? As we're talking about, yeah, well, FBI profiler would actually probably be more valuable because when the (laughs) FBI goes in to profile people, they're profiling them in the context Mm. of some action. And that's what I mean. It's like persona is a profile, but a buyer persona means it's got to be about the buying context. Right. Not just the person, but under the context or in the context of what they're doing. To that goal, to that purpose. Okay, so it's focused. And why they're doing yeah. it. Yeah. And why, why they're doing yeah. it. And like what's going on in their mind and, and how do they come to these you know, conclusions, the ones, the conclusions that buyers are reaching out there all the, every single day that they should or shouldn't do business with us. And we want to get inside, a persona gets inside that mindset and so that we can then go in and influence them and influence that mindset. But if we don't know someone walking in the door and saying, Hey, you know what, Casey, I just really think you need to, um, I don't know, eat better, exercise more. Uh, And you probably have had those thoughts, but are you going to change because I tell you that you should do that? Well, it's January. So I'm still in that mode, right? (laughs) Right, right. It's January. Right. And this is the one time of year I could probably persuade you around that. Yes. But I, you know, for the companies that you are listening to this today, right? We're try- We're probably not just selling fitness gear. At least that isn't the only one listening to this call. Right. And we we need to figure out what what is happening in our buyers' minds. And that's a lot more involved in that than just profiling who is the person. You know, it sounds like, and I'm probably guilty of this too. We can get distracted by the easy things. I can, I can pick a name, Mandy. I can pick a cool photo that represents a marketing manager at a software company and maybe even figure out that she likes peppermint mocha lattes. But you know, that's not to your point that, that that's great. You've done this, but that's, that's so surface level. It's probably like an iceberg, right? Great. You see the little tip top, but there's so much more below that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not only so surface level as my dog. It's not even, even so surface level. It's so missing the point. And I tell you, this is the main thing. People have to stop and think about that. Marketing has really changed fundamentally in the decades that I've been in it. In that in the past, Buyers were really kind of at our mercy. You know, they had mm. to work hard to come to us to get the information they needed. <laughs> True. Yeah. 
And and now buyers are kind of like, hey, listen, if I can't get the information I need easily from you, I'm going to go get it from someone else. Right. And so just the basic premise that the reason we're doing this isn't to understand our buyer, it's to understand how to be useful to our buyer, how to give them the information they need to to choose us. And mm. It, and yet, you know, inside our companies, we're really doing just a different version of what we've been doing for decades in the old, before buyers changed the roles and just sitting around thinking, well, we want to sell more of X and we want to sell more of Y and we want to get out our message that we're the best at X and Y and we want, we want, we want. And right. nobody has the ability to sit in that meeting room and say, but what does the buyer want? Right. What do they actually want? Instead of our own talking about ourselves, writing white papers about ourselves to ourselves, writing content for ourselves does nothing. You're right. It's it's more than service level. You're right. It's missing the point completely. You might as well not even have a photo or a name if you don't understand underlying reasoning. So so that that really clears up a lot. That profile persona. Uh, is there any other myths going around about about buyer personas, or is that the big one that that people are all about the cutesy stuff and they're not really understanding the buyer. And I know we'll get to how to understand the buyer in a second. Yeah. So there's one other myth mm-hmm. um, going around and it's related. And it is that, because uh, it's related to this concept. If you start with profiles, yeah. then you immediately end up with too many personas. Mm. Because now you can think of, well, do I need a profile? I mean, you know, Casey, do we have B2B and B2C people listening today? Or is it mostly B2B? B2B? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the great example in B2B is hey, listen, you know, I sell to companies of different sizes, so I need different size. I need personas for different oh, sizes. Geez. I sell to people in different industries. I need a persona for every industry. I sell to different job titles, influencing the buying decision. And before long, even a small company can end up with three, four, five, ten, twenty personas. That is a huge myth. Good, because it's scary. It's scaring me. I'm getting it's all nervous huge, over here. <laughs> it's a huge myth. And it's really again, if we get back to what our goal is to figure out how to be sure. helpful to buyers. And if we if we really start with, okay, learning what's helpful to buyers and and encoding that in a persona, yeah. then we start to realize that what we need to do to be helpful to different types of buyers doesn't really vary that much. And we don't really need that many personas. How do you, how do you chop it up? Well, so that now you want to get into the how to, cause we'll do that. Well, just, so, you know, instead of 18, I get it. Don't have 18, but. So what you first, you first have to do is you have to understand what buyers, what questions buyers are asking, what's going on in their mind through that journey. And then you realize that even though people that are in different industries and in different company sizes and in different geographies and, and many times with different titles, because B2B companies, businesses are very consensus driven. Sure. Is we start to realize that, you know, literally, I mean, we, we literally, you wanted a story. So we did a study for stories. a very, <laughs> a very, very, very large technology company. I won't say who it is. Very large. One of the, probably 25 largest tech companies in the world sure. selling B2B. Yep. And we interviewed buyers across eight industries, public and private sector, across the US, the UK, and Germany. And we asked them to, to talk to us about what they need to do. These were directors of IT around the particular buying decision our client wanted to influence. 
And at the end of the day, so think of that. Okay, three countries, three countries, eight industries, one job title, three times eight, 24. <laughs> this company could have easily concluded that they needed 24 buyer personas. Sure. After we looked at the questions they asked and what they wanted to know and how our client could answer those questions in a way that was compelling, guess how many buyer personas we had? Three? One? One. Wow. One. The industry didn't matter. The geo didn't matter. So here's what matters about industry. Buyers want to hear that you do business in their industry and in their geo and all that. Well, I don't need a buyer persona to tell you that. I just uh, told you that. That was free. Okay. So everybody <laughs> on the call today. Hey, industry that's free, guys. Matters. Your buyers want your message plus, and we do that in your industry. That's uh, it. Right. Move on. But what? Yeah. But the... What do we do for you part that matters to buyers? Rarely, not never, but rarely is industry or geography and often not even job title that crucial to answering that key question. And you find this out by Vulcan mind melding with people? No, we interview (laughs) them. You interview them. Yeah. So we interview them. Um, And that's why I wrote the book is I wanted everybody to know about the kind of interview that's required because market research, when I say that term, most people usually think of either surveys, which are absolutely useless for this purpose. Especially if you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer, right? Well, and and when even more critically, even if you think you know the right question, you're limiting. Now you get an answer. That answer is never insightful. It's the follow-up question to that answer. Oh, okay. It's, that's it's an insight. Person. Like okay. you can have a list of attributes like, well, are all of these important to you? Price, ease of use, integration, flexibility, scalability, uh, service qualities, all this. And people check all the boxes. But what you never get to do in a survey is then take that answer. Ease of use is really important and spend 10 minutes getting the buyer to talk about what that means. And how they determine which solution was easy to use. And, you know, what was it about ease of use? And how much training did you expect to have to need before? And right. So, you know, sure, you can create surveys that have, you know, layers of questions. But it's that dialogue. It's like you and I, Casey, you get this. Right. I know because you, you know, you wouldn't just send out a survey and ask me no. questions. No, I'm going to go get it's lunch. It's the, di- so it's the dialogue we're having. <laughs> right. So... So surveys don't work. Focus groups don't work. Kill surveys. One-on-one in-depth conversations, dialogue with the buyer in a very particular way. So you're killing surveys. Love it. Shots fired. You're killing focus groups. Killing those. For this purpose, not not for other purposes, but for this purpose, I'm killing these. Surveys and focus groups have a lot of good purposes, not this one. Love it. Yep. Okay, great. So no surveys, no focus groups. It's a one-on-one conversation. Exactly. Excellent. Exactly. It's a one-on-one interview and it's a very particular kind of interview. Okay. It's particular. Are you writing down? I mean, I've heard unscripted. I've heard scripted. I've heard semi-scripted. What's what's the the best answer there? So first of all, what you want to do is get people on the phone who have within the last year been in the buying decision. Okay. And that's critical. So a lot of people want to interview their customers. And we don't really, I mean, that's okay to do. And certainly you want to interview your customers about other things, um, make sure they're happy and so forth after they buy. But buyers are different than customers. Buyers are about the buying decision. 
So we want to interview people about that buying decision. So we want to find people who have made that decision. Ideally, not just your customers, because you did it right with them. You won their business. We really want to talk to people who didn't choose you. So recent buyers. Mm -hmm. We go back as much as a year. Okay. Because otherwise you forget, right? You mumbo jumbo. Yeah. And it takes more skill is all. And then there's one scripted question, and here it is. Take me back to the day when you first decided to evaluate a blank solution, service, product, whatever. And tell me what happened, Casey. Tell me what happened. (laughs) Really? When you first decided that you needed a marketing automation solution, take me back to that day and tell me what happened. And then it's about the dialogue, the probing, and taking those people very slowly through that whole journey. Right. Everything they thought about and did is they looked at all their choices, did research on them, Right. Figured out what was included and what they didn't have and narrowed it, narrowed it, narrowed it until they chose the one they chose. Interesting. I was going to say, you know, I didn't know very much about it when I first, so I, I didn't necessarily decide I needed it, but I, I did decide to look into it. Is, is there you that, go. That's the moment. It's when you first yeah. decided to evaluate. Uh, evaluate. Yeah. When you first decided, take me back to the day when you first decided to evaluate mm-hmm. A whatever solution or service you sell. So, you know, it's insert. I just use pick that because no, we were talking great. about marketing. So, so I would say something like, you know, everything was really messed up in the company with the leads and, and sales didn't really like me and things are all messed up. And it took me an hour and a half to send an email out. So I had heard there's better things. So I just started filling out forms for uh-huh. people. So that would be my great. initial answer. That's your first answer. Great. Yeah. So um, now what I'm going to do next, so watch this. We'll do like a little mock interview here. Okay, yeah, Casey, great. I'm going to say to you, well, gosh, Casey, the, the day that you decided to do that, I mean, hadn't that been going on for a long time? Like what really changed that you decided that today's the day? I mean, I, I'm guessing that sales have been kind of mad at you for a while and you've been worried about all those things. And- sure. It was a new company. I just joined. Ah, and so I hadn't experienced it for a while, go. but I now suddenly, maybe a week in, realized how messed up. I thought I inherited something wonderful. Instead, I inherited a mess. And so I was like, oh, there has to be a solution. Um, and I, I think I guess I'd heard about there, there were solutions. And I, I read in an industry paper saying this thing called marketing automation. So I just, I was hoping, I was hoping that it was going to help. So, so I'll do a little aside here. Yeah, say, yeah. You guys, we just got to the real trigger. Okay. Now, I want you to think about what we just learned. And we wouldn't have learned this in a survey, right? Right. But because I stayed with it and asked you what really changed, I just found out and I can go tell my salespeople that, hey, we know that one of the triggers for, and I, and I can look at this in my marketing automation, let's start to watch for people. We can use LinkedIn databases. We've got all sorts of databases. Let's watch for when people join the company in your job title, because this is when they're going to be most receptive to hearing about us. Right. So you see how this helps for targeting? Totally. And it wasn't the initial question or the question after that. It was, tell me more it about was like that. staying with yeah. you. Yeah. A new yeah. job. And I was hoping for something oh. and didn't really know. Yeah. Yeah. And now, and now and I can, I'm a little bit beyond I'd say to you, and I'd say to you, okay, Casey, so what did you do first to understand your options? Right. I just went on a, a form spree and started filling out every vendor form under the sun. Just went crazy. And I started went reading crazy. some Forrester papers, I think, about it. 
Mm-hmm. Those two things. How did you decide which websites to even fill out forms on? Yeah, uh, it was one of these industry papers that that said different products, and it was interesting. I, one I hadn't looked at, which I work with now, called Pardot. I hadn't even heard of it, but in the paper it said this is really good for SMBs, and I was like, I, I am an SMB, so I'm gonna go check it out. You see how we just got a finding there, you guys? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So the trigger for you was a paper that said marketing automation for SMB. Yeah. Okay. And then you started doing forms. And see, we could now we could very slowly walk you through everything you did and thought about right. as you went from that initial, like filling out millions of forms. Like, Casey, how many do you think you filled out? How many different companies forms? Probably, probably eight different marketing vendors. Yeah. Okay. So now you had eight companies. You filled out the forms. And then I'd say to you, so then what did you do? And we, we just yeah. very slowly keep Slow. walking you through this. You see? So I'm capturing your journey. Yep. And as we get further along, what's really critical. So I just found out how you, what your mental model was for figuring out which company's forms you should fill out. Right. It, it's even better as we go along because as you start to exclude certain companies from that consideration set, I found out what I can find out what resources influenced that and right. what those resources were telling you. Like what totally. perceptions did you start to build about those companies? Totally. You know, a lot of it was the demos. I got talked, I was talking to a sales rep right away. A lot of the demos are really complicated and they, I guess they didn't realize that I was completely new to it. I mean, this was a while ago at this point, but I was completely new to it. And so I didn't understand the basic premise, but one of the sales reps said, Hey, it's simple. Capture, nurture, automate. And then I really liked him and he was kind of a, a fun person too. And uh, but he simplified it for me. And I ended up going with that tool. That was the tool I went with you know, for many different reasons, probably. But it was, he was the one guy of all the, the, you know, the haze and the sales speak that just said, this is what this, is what this new world is going to be for you in marketing. Mm-hmm. So that really... So I, I just... There's so many directions we could go with this sure, conversation, sure. Casey. But if you can imagine now, if, we, if you did that for... Six, eight, ten people. Yes, you start to see that there would be patterns around yes. what drove the every part of that decision, and that becomes your persona. And you you're capturing. We're recording these interviews. We're having the interviews transcribed. Sure. And then we're capturing the those verbatim quotes where you get a little emotional. We're, <laughs> we're working. We're getting you a little worked up about this. Um, one of the core principles that I want to tell you about B two B. Mm-hmm. And many consumer marketing sure. uh, around high cons- any I call it I say it's not B two B versus B two C. It's high consideration versus low consideration. Love that. Love that. Yep. And so, what really happened for you there? The essence of it is is that buyer you came to trust that company totally. Totally. And as marketers, we don't realize that that's our job now. We think we're trying to push out all this information, get more leads, get more qualified leads. Now, what we're trying to do is build trust. And it's harder with marketing than it is with that sales engagement. True. But ultimately, that's our job is to figure out how are we going to start to get that buyer to trust? I mean, started off with you trusted those eight companies because they were mentioned in a report. Right. And they, it was about SMB. And so that started to build the beginnings of trust. And then you went through a process to you got to trust that you weren't going to, you know, you're, you're, you weren't going to get fired for right. buying this particular solution. Right. And you know what, as you mentioned that, I have an example of that not working. I, I, uh, I was sharing with someone that I, I filled out a, 
I have a form to get a case study on marketing automation and AI. And, and I filled it out. I downloaded. I was eager to get to it. And it was beautifully designed. And it had like marshmallow fluff. It was not, not helpful. I'm not an idiot. Give me a takeaway. Four pages, nothing. I closed it. I was like, this, this stay is disgusted, right? I was like, ah. And, um, and then I even, the, the sales rep who pinged me the very next day, not necessarily a good call, but that's what they did. And he said, hey, la, la, la. And I just remembered, you know, I don't really trust you guys because you offered me this cool case study mm-hmm. and it, it ended up being a flop. You know, you didn't re- you just wanted, you know, it was clickbait. You know, and fooled yeah. me once. I'm not. I'm not into the rest of your clickbait. And that was an example of a promise that wasn't fulfilled on the marketing side. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And the and the you know the in the sad thing is, and I've been guilty of this myself. You know, is we sit in a room and we're like in, living in our own echo chamber. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the big here's another myth that I'll bust is that we should talk about benefits, not features. Interesting. I'm gonna. I want to. I just want to Punch blow that, that away. Why is that? Well, because you know the benefits you want. You know what you want. You knew that you wanted, you know, you'd identified when you started on the search for that marketing automation that you wanted to get the salespeople to be happier and you wanted to get more leads. And you, you it's like, don't talk to me about how we're going to do that. Talk to me about, prove to me. And that's the same thing with that mm, AI prove. paper. Yeah. Talk to me. Don't talk to me about the benefit of AI. Talk to me about, what you can do to deliver value to me in the uh, context of AI and marketing automation. What will AI do for me in terms of what are the capabilities that I'm going to have that I don't have now? So, you know, I, I usually don't talk about so much benefits or features. I say, we've got to talk about capabilities. Mm. And it's like, we can, do, we can solve this problem because. So we can mention the problem, but we better get quickly to how we solve it. Buyers are a lot more educated than they used to be, and they are really annoyed by what's fluff for them now is benefits. You know, we are the market leading provider of flexible, scalable, compatible, <laughs> interoperable, integrated, fully integrated, enterprise wide solutions for awesome business results. Agile, user friendly. Agile. Oh, yeah, I forgot lean, agile. Lean. So- now, I've also heard, though, too often we sell the process and not the result. How does, how does that, is that just wrong then? Or because I, I can see getting wrapped up in this is how we we're going to come in and we're going to do this interview and this call and this and that. I, know, know, I don't want the process that. either. Right. I want, well, the real key thing is here without getting into the high level is sure. to find out what your, do those interviews so you find out what your buyers want to know. Got and it. you'll find out what the, what are the questions they're asking? And so, you know, I use ease of use because it's something that just about every mighty bitty marketers and markets around. And, you know, I go to the website and says, you know, our products are easy to use. Do you think your buyer shows up and reads that and goes, oh, my gosh, this is great. Here's a solution that's easy (laughs) to use. I haven't seen that anywhere else. How do where do I click? Right. Instead, what we want to say to them is what's easy to use about this. Well, that's easy. Okay. So I was going to say, there's two particular marketing automation tools that I know, I know specifically the main difference is that one is just really hard to use and it takes forever to implement it. And, right. But, but we, if, it, you're, if you're a buyer and you don't know that yet, yeah. you don't just go to their website and say, hey, we're easy to use because the hard to use guys are probably also saying they're easy. They are saying that. Yeah. They, everyone says that. 
So, th- so then how do you suss that out? If, if that is a big differentiator, does it not even matter if that's not what the buyers are asking? Well, that's one thing. So we yeah. do tend to talk about differentiators just because they're different and without knowing if that's what the buyers are asking. But let's assume they, I, my guess is, you know, I think it's a reasonable case that the yeah. buyers do care about ease of use. Sure. We want to find out what about ease of use matters to them. Is it the uh, okay. UI? Is it the training? Is it the um, is it something about the dashboard? I mean, literally, here's an example. Uh, you want a story? So my company just bought a workflow automation solution, and my operations executive who went looking for it spent literally weeks and weeks looking at all these different solutions, talking to vendors and just struggling, trying to find something that was easy to use. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, and at the end, finally, after about six weeks of this, wasting all this time that we don't have, he finally figured out that the way to figure out what was easy to use. And he, you know, this is the story he would tell if somebody call up and interviewing. Yeah. Um, And so this is free, you guys, if anybody on the call right now, (laughs) so workflow, here it is. is he finally figured out as he went into Google Images and he typed on dashboards that he could look at the dashboards and mm. that that was a clue, like how they were depicting the dashboard right. would give him a clue as to what kind of information they were tracking and how it looked. Like, was it too simple or too hard? Because right. it's actually like something, you know, for every buyer, it's unique, right? And we're trying to figure out what right. does that mean to our market? And, and that's what he, and he, that's how he found the solution. I mean, he didn't even know like what to call this thing to call it project management or workflow or yeah, the terms, you know, yeah, terminology. And you know what? I mean, this makes it sound like to the, to the company that sells that solution. Yeah. He sounds like he's stupid, you know, like what, but he's not stupid. He just, yeah. he's just what never bought it? anything like this yeah. before. Right. Which is a valid audience, a valid customer potential, yeah. potential buyer. Yeah. And so he wasted all the time. So what did I say? We want to reduce the friction in the buying experience. Right. We want to be helpful to buyers. We yeah. want them to figure out quickly. Am, are, do you have, I have a picture in my mind of what I need at some level or what problem I needed to solve. Don't tell me the benefits. Tell me, give me the information. And I don't know what that is till I interview your buyers. Right. But give me the information I need to see whether there's a likely good match between what I think I need and what you deliver. Right. You know, would that would that be two different personas then? Uh, the the experienced buyer versus could be someone who I have an example of that. New into that? Yeah, we did sure. A study, we did a study for Caterpillar. Do you, you Caterpillar, the guys that make sure. the big old big tractors and yes. yeah, right. <laughs> We're making like caterpillar visuals for those yeah, listeners. Yeah. Like big old cranes, yeah. Crane skid steers and you know, skid steers and and all these things. And we did a study for them. Sure. And they told us they thought they had five buyer personas by industry. They had mm. two construction industry buyers. They had agriculture, landscaping, and snow removal. Interesting. And so we went out and interviewed buyers about their journey and where the friction was in the buying experience and what they cared about and the information they needed that would be helpful. And we found out that they didn't have five buyer personas. They had two. Huh. And that and it came to mind because your question about like, is there a mature buyer and an immature buyer? That would be a, or a less educated buyer. That would be a good way to describe what we came up in that client, right. which is 
there was a buyer who had bought a ton of this kind of equipment in his life. And he wanted to see side-by-side comparisons. Like think of if you've ever bought a washing machine or a sure. laptop, you know, with all the features and functions. Well, in believe it or not, in tractors, there's stuff like hand controls versus foot controls. Sure. And the door comes off or doesn't. Spring and, bouncy seat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like how much can it lift and what kinds of lift ratio? I don't know. All does sorts it of fit stuff a big gulp or does it fit a soda can? There you go. Yeah, there okay. you go. What's what's a cup holder like? And <laughs> And the buyer who knows he's going to have to trade the stuff off against price and all these other yeah. features sets wants to see side-by-side comparisons. Totally not available until we did the study. Interesting. Then there was a different buyer, completely different, who is got to buy something he's never bought before. And his concern, his buy, his journey looks like, hey, you know, I'm I'm a landscaper. I've got a chance to get into the swimming pool building business. I've got a prospect right now who wants a proposal from me tomorrow, but before I can, I need to find out what I need to buy to dig swimming pools. And I need, I need to get on the phone with a guy right now who can help me. And this was a channel sales thing. And the partners didn't call these guys back for a couple of days. And what did they do? They go to the competitors. They go to Kubota or John Deere. Whoever's more helpful. Yeah. Less friction, more helpful. Not about industry. Now, we still, when they published their marketing materials, they yeah. still needed pictures of farms for the ag guys and snow snow for the snow guys. But the but, and that the would be a different persona, though. You just selling like it's, it's plows just, versus grain harvesters, and it's actually the same product in these cases. Huh. So it literally okay. was the same but kinds same, of products. Oh, same product, okay. But it was how they marketed these products. But they still needed, and this is the part people say to me, but don't we need to go to market by industry? We know that matters to your buyers. Yes. So the pictures are different. But the strategy, which is what, you know, what do we say? What do we need to do to be helpful and reduce friction in the buying experience? It wasn't by industry. And that's what the persona should tell us. How to be strategic. That's what the the patterns showed after interviewing multiple people, even from these different groups. Just to, 12 people. To yeah. see if they I think we did 18, 18 okay. in that study. Yeah. And, and that showed that even though, you know, snow versus not snow or this versus that, um, now same product, but it, it, it showed that they all came up to the decision in a similar way, that the journey was very similar. Except that- for this, that the friction point and the place where the company wasn't helpful and where these people had questions. And it's a little oversimplification for sure. the purpose of telling the story. Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote about it in my book, so there's more detail, but. That's right. Just to to give you the idea that, you know, demographics, you know, job title industry, company size are rarely as important as something else you're going to learn about how to be helpful to these buyers. So it blows my mind a little bit because in my head, I was, I was thinking, and maybe not, well, if different, if there's different products in different industries, I mean, if it's a different product, doesn't, does that automatically make a different buyer at a, for a it's company? It's a different buying decision altogether. So let's talk about that. Sure. So buyers don't buy products. They buy answers to their problems. Answers. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And we know that. You knew that. Yeah. So, so many times in companies that have multiple products, it's really looking at how does the buyer enter that buying decision? And okay. then are there related products and solutions and services that come together right. for that? 
Um, and that's what the interview is about because the buyer is not looking at this on a product by product base. And the cue to separate out a different persona is a different friction point or no, lo- different when, answer. We, when, when we start with the interviews, we do start with demographics. Okay. So job title industry and a particular set of buying, de- a particular kind of buying decision, you know, right. and then we find out from the interviews, how many personas we really need. Now, what, what's the flag that causes you to then say, this is a separate one from, from the one I just talked to? Some place where the buyer's expectations, their questions, their expectations for that buying experience diverge. Okay. Like that Caterpillar example. Like the Caterpillar. The, the person who was comparing had bought it before versus doesn't the person... doesn't want to talk to a sales guy. Just that, let me go to your website. Oh, no, didn't want to talk side to by side, Press the buy button. Whereas the other one did want to talk to someone. It wasn't about a comparison. It was about, I've never done this before. Help Educate me. me. Educate me. Yeah. Consult with me. This is a buyer who needs consultation. He needs help. He needs a guy on the phone who can listen to his story and say, oh, you know, I think given all the things you told me, you need this. Right. The other guy who's been bought a dozen of these things, the last thing he wants to do today <laughs> is talk to a sales rep. Talk to somebody. Yeah, he's busy. He's, Just he's give busy. me the what data. The phone. Yeah, you know, and I can I, see how, yeah. how problematic that would be for Caterpillar or any company to treat everyone the same. Yeah. Right? Now, now you're probably missing it for both of them. Or at best, maybe you're hitting it for one, hopefully, on a whim. Or maybe you're just talking about yourself the whole time and you're missing it for everyone. Interesting. Exactly. You got it, Casey. Boom. Man, how, how did you get into this? I, I'm trying to understand the, the, the amount of experience on this, on this Zoom meeting. Hey, Zoom. Uh, is amazing. And how did this start? I mean, I can literally consider you like the Wonder Woman of Buyer Insight. Oh, so who are you and, and how did this start? You know, like that whole story of where you were just in a coffee shop and you're sitting next to JK Rowling's and she was writing Harry Potter and you were like, buy her personas. And like, you just, you felt no. compelled to fix marketing or, I mean, this is so, where did this all sort of come from? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's hard to know where to begin. I mean, in my book, I did try to go back uh, yeah. and figure that out. Um, but, you know, a long, long time ago, so like literally 1986, I was working for Regis McKenna, which most right. people are too young to know who that is. Apple, Re- Intel, right? Launched a couple. There you go. Yeah. Okay. You, you got it, Casey. Smart. So uh, I worked on the <laughs> Intel account, but yes, Regis McKenna launched Apple Computer, this little company's most of your what listeners today might have heard of yeah, and maybe. <laughs> uh, and yeah maybe and uh and the guy the Regis McKenna the person it was a market research and PR firm okay. taught me as a young marketer to always interview customers before I wrote positioning statements and marketing messages and then I went on through my career to own a market research firm no, no, and just a real PR quick, firm. what was that were you seeing people not do that or you were seeing when when you did do that it just change people's perspectives completely. What sort of triggered you to... Well, in, in 1986, honestly, I'm sitting there like, like feeling like you are today. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm with like these people that are launching these big... Men. I'm like <laughs> a beginning marketer and I'm told you will go interview customers before you do this. And I'm okay. like, okay, okay, Good. boss, I'm doing yeah. that. I never, it never occurred to me to question that. Mm. And, you know, I could go on about Regis McKenna. I mean, the guy was amazing. He wasn't even a, a marketer. His, his degree really? was in oh gosh, phenomenology. 
Phenomenology. That sounds awesome. <laughs> That'd be a great title too. Go look it up. Phenomenon, like phenomenon with yeah. ology on the end. Like that. So I can't explain what phenomenology is and I definitely don't have a degree in it, but it's the chaos theory is a part of phenomenology. And he was arguably in the eighties, probably the most famous marketing guru. He, you know, I mean, doing Intel and Apple obviously gives him a lot of credentials. But <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah, he wrote a lot of books and I'd read his book and I wanted to go to work for him and they hired me and, and I'm just sitting there, you know, soaking it in. Okay, yeah. boss, this is what I do. And now, now he somehow merged chaos theory with marketing research? No. Now, how did he get into, you know, I couldn't ac- accurately describe how he got sure. into marketing, yeah. but the principle that he, that he understood and talked about in his first book was called The Regis Touch. And I don't even, I doubt it's in print, but could probably find a copy somewhere. But what his principle was, and remember, these are the early days of tech. Sure. Nobody knows what tech is. The internet doesn't exist yet. Nobody gives a heck. Everybody, what's a motherboard? Why do I care about any of this technology? Yeah, this is like, this is pre-AOL. This is for those... Oh yeah, it's before Netscape. It's before anything. This is Apple IIe desk. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, so we just found out that I'm old. So let, now that we got that out of the way, right. um, but, but he, what, what he's, what he brought to marketing was, and Jeffrey Moore, Jeffrey Moore, okay. some people do know who worked for Regis after I did. So I didn't work. I didn't know Jeffrey Moore from those days, but Jeffrey Moore wrote crossing the chasm, which yes. was taking basically a fifties model for market adoption and introducing because of tech, this idea of early adopters being different and tech being different. But anyway, so he, he what, worked at that company after you did at McKenna. He after. worked at Regis McKenna. Wow, it's like the intersection of, it's almost like the eBay of the. Yeah. Database. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, so being at the right place at the right time, getting the right mentor. Right. And, um, and so he taught me this and he, and, but the basic principle that he brought to marketing was go, Influence the influencers, which now we talk about influencer marketing like it's something new, right? All day long, right? Yep. <laughs> but he was really about creating an ecosystem for to promote marketing. And that was like the phenomenology aspect of this, as best as I can tell. Bridges, if you're listening, I apologize for not doing a good job on this. But That's okay. We'll have um, to have him on here to correct it all later. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he's still working. <laughs> Um, he probably uh, doesn't need to anymore, probably. but at any rate, he, um, he, that was my big, that was my big beginning. Mm-hmm. And then I, I went on to, to do a lot of things. I owned a market research firm. I went in house sure. as a VP of marketing for about 11 years and I ran sales for a little while. And that was another important inflection for point. Sure. Yep. And That'd I don't be- know how many of your listeners have been in sales, but you know, as a salesperson and then running sales, I really learned about the magic of listening to the customer and answering their questions. And that had a lot to do with me under, you know, later coming around to this model of buyer personas, because as a rep, and I was only a quota carrying rep for less than a year, but I was at 400% of my quota because I just, I was crushing it because, (laughs) because I just sort of natively like to listen to people. And caught on to that. And, you know, I would basically, you know, present the information in the context where they could hear it and answer their questions and they right. trust me and buy from me. Right. 
I think you also probably had a little bit of edge to make sure they bought from you after you did your listening. It's like, okay, I've listened to you. Now you're going to sign that thing and fax it. I think I had less edge in those days. (laughs) What, the edge has just grown over time? But, uh, you know, I I completely agree. I think we're, if I could even say birds of a feather in this, uh, I was in marketing for a long time, then had a chance to to do work in sales, even just try out sales. I mean, I've sold tuxedos and all sorts of weird (laughs) things like that. (laughs) <laughs> Nothing teaches you sales like trying to sell a future bride a tuxedo for her wedding day. It's crazy. But, uh, but, but doing that, it makes you appreciate so much more that sales side, the aspect of the human interaction, mm-hmm. the, the trust in person. So that when you go on the marketing side, it's almost like trust at scale. And, yeah. and you also have respect for the other side too. Because a lot of times, I'm sure you deal with this too, the, um, oh, mar- you know, sales is horrible. Marketing is the best. We should take over everything. Or, or sales is like, what do we even need marketing for? We'll just go cold call a bunch of people. You know? And so it's like, actually, the solution is somewhere in between there with you guys working together, aligning. And it takes someone who's had fun at both sides and you know, can see the value in, in the different, different elements to, uh, to kind of bridge that gap, if you will. Yeah, I think it was part and parcel of me inventing this business. I don't know if you have to Love do that, that to be successful at it, but I think because my vision and I wrote about it in the last chapter of my book is is that the one thing, you know, say, I love what you say trusted scale. That was excellent. Yeah. You know, marketing is about persuading a market full of buyers, sales is about persuading one time one buyer at a time. Right. We both are in the job of persuading buyers and that's done by earning their trust. Right. Right, and so if we could just align around that, and that if we could all agree that you know there's probably different tasks and activities involved in earning the buyer's trust, right? Then maybe we could sort out like our different roles a little better. Quite literally, on the same team, you know, maybe we have different terminologies and different cultures. You know, sales is out till two a.m. You know, maybe marketing calls it a night at eleven. But either way, we're still trying to you know, and ideally in a positive way, we're trying to help that buyer out, not trick them into clicking your email or trick them into buying it or push them or as learned in the previous podcast, you know, beat them up and take their keys at the car dealership until they get fatigued and they buy from us, but to really help them out. So that's interesting. Yeah, I, I could see how working on both sides of that would really just give you that, that ability to create what you've done. Good. So, so now you've got dogs and you're living on an island and you're continuing this charge uh, of, of leading and, and speaking. You know, where, where can people go to, um, and it's sort of self-explanatory, I mentioned that you're your Twitter, but where should people go to, to follow up on this? Certainly your book. What, what do you recommend? Well, I got, I got lucky, you know, in 2006, I started a blog at buyerpersona.com. Boom. And I Love hadn't started domain. my company yet, but when I started my Buyer Persona Institute four years later, I already had the domain. And so buyerpersona.com is the headquarters, the central spot. Excellent. So just go there and... Yeah, because we've got links to the book. We've got to the book. templates. We've got videos. We've got an online course. We've got all sorts of things you can do there to either, you know, do it yourself right. or invite us to come in and, and do this work for you. I can see a lot of, a lot of us adding that and we'll definitely link to that as well, but it's easy. Just type it in now if you're listening, but uh, you know, we just stirred the pot, right? We, we just challenged the, but I had Mandy with her photo and it was so cute and these are designed <laughs> so well. And I, I did what Google told me to do, but we're actually saying, no, and now you got to do some interviews. And it sounds like I could, you know, we could, Look up some some training or some videos in your online online course on how to really perfect that 
Cause yeah. it, cause it is a, it is a guided conversation that it takes a little bit of leadership to do and some confidence to be able to ask those yeah. questions, especially, I mean, I see you gotta have a, a willing buyer who, who's listening, you know, game for answering your questions. Yeah. And so when I wrote my book, I know a lot of um, business authors tend to write just a lot of, oh, this is a great idea. And here's a bunch of case studies. You know, I didn't mention, but for 10 years, 2000 to 2010, I I owned a training business. Sure. And I traveled all over the world teaching a two-day course on product marketing. And so I'm a trainer at heart. Yes. And so in my book, a third of the book is dedicated to literally everything you need to do to find people to interview, get them to agree to interview, conduct the interview, work with the transcripts to build the personas. I mean, I just really like people said to me, you're crazy giving away all this intellectual property. I'm like, (laughs) no, I don't think so. I mean, it still takes a lot of skill and not everybody can get good at it. For sure. But I really want people who, you know... If you have a journal, if you have a background in journalism, if you're the kind of person who's really comfortable at parties, meeting people you don't know and just chatting them up, if you've got, if you're an anthropologist by training, if you've got any of that kind of like, you know, you'd love to get in and just really listen and probe and, and look at, look for that patterns, then it's all laid out how to do it yourself. You know, that's interesting because it definitely breathes life into the idea of journalists who maybe you're not at the local paper anymore. You know, how can you reinvent yourself or use that? You know, you didn't lose that knack for wanting to get to the bottom of things. So now you can sort of change that over and move it to buyer personas. That's that's really cool. And you also have the heart of a trainer. I love that. Uh, at at uh, I, I do too. And and our company why is to teach a better way. And it's funny when you mention you know giving people giving you flack for giving away too much yeah. content. But it's like ah, this is what I do. I I love those aha moments. And I'm sure you've seen me have about. 80 of them. I'm almost having a seizure over here with all these, all these aha moments. But um, yeah, this has been great. You know, any other parting shots or any, any other things, you know, takeaways you want us to remember? I'll just say that the persona, let me, let me, let me do a parting shot here because, mm-hmm. you know, people will often think that having a buyer persona is like check the box. Okay. My persona is done. Yes. I'm good. And uh, I'll tell you that is, it's really the persona is just the beginning. It's a personas are a decision making tool. So we can decide how to be helpful to buyers. And, you know, especially for the companies that are a little bit bigger, you know, actually getting the organization to leverage those personas. And we're starting to do a lot of work with clients around the strategy afterwards. And chapter eight in my book is all about how to kick that off. Okay. Because, and by the way, it sounds like I'm selling the book here, you guys. I, oh, my publisher makes all the money on my book. I make like <laughs> 75 cents every time you buy a copy. So I'm not doing no worries. No, no, for sure. Uh, I, I, even uh, I just, separate. go ahead. I want people to have access to that. And, but I will mm-hmm. tell you that the parting shot is, gosh, don't, don't feel like you're done when you have the persona done. It's now you've got to get people to use this. You know, I'll tell you a short story again. Do we have enough time for another oh, yeah, short story? Sure. Okay. So Jeff Bezos of Amazon, right? Sure. Arguably a pretty successful guy. Um, <laughs> when he started Amazon, not very many people know this, but he insisted that at every meeting there be an empty chair in the room. Mm. And that was to remind the people in the room to think about the customer. Right. And now the chair is not empty anymore. Now he has customer experts sitting in every meeting 
bringing the customer perspective to that meeting. And you can read about this. Go Google, you know, Jeff Bezos, empty chair, da-da-da. Forbes did a great article update on it a couple of years ago and talked about how, you know, senior VPs at Amazon, these guys probably making big bucks, lots of stock. They're at a meeting and the person in the customer chair kind of frowns and starts (laughs) to look like this. And and people in the meeting actually cringe because they know that at Amazon, it's customer first. Customer first, yeah. And, you know, this is really talk about, do I want to change B2B marketing? I do. I want that company to think like Jeff Bezos. I want people to say, we're going to invite the customer into every meeting. And the persona is the representation of that. And we need proxies for the persona throughout the company sitting in every meeting and making better decisions because the customer is there. You know, I, I love that. When I got uh, the big takeaway, it's a decision-making tool. It's, and, and I could even see, yeah, it, it's not a checkbox. Okay, I got them done. And now they just sit somewhere. That's the question. Do you have them done? Are you using them? Are they actually helpful? And if it's that fluffy stuff that we talked about earlier, how would you even use that? Mandy, I, 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 what is she doing? Uh, poor Mandy's out there listening on like, stop making fun of me, Casey. Pick someone else. Pick on someone else. But in fact, it's Mary. just... Mary, there we yeah. go. Mary, you're, Mary up, marketer. you're up now. It's up, it's up to you now, Mary. A decision-making tool, almost like a, you know, the, the why for a company or in this case, the, the proxy for the customer. I love that. You know, if you can't get the customer in a chair, you put that piece of paper or that persona in the chair. And it's like, what would their customer say to this particular situation? Or oh, we have a choice. Should we create this content or should we create this content? Well, it's right. not about what makes us look good. What would our buyers say? Let's consult the persona. And so you know it's a, an effective persona if it's helping you answer those questions and advocate, you know, reduce yeah. friction. That's interesting. That's yeah. And companies have customer councils and so forth that they sometimes try to use for this. This is better than that. Better. Because customer councils, people are still advocating for their own company. Yes. This is really, you know, like I don't want that customer in the room because now I'm going to get that company's perspective, that customer. I want something that represents how a market full of buyers or customers think. Which you can get when you've interviewed 10 multiple ones and you, you've met... Which you know, seems like a pattern. small number. Pe- people are shocked that that number is so small. Yeah. Um, and certainly if you're making you know, a make or break decision for your company, you might want to go out and validate those findings using a survey. There's where surveys <laughs> come in. But we charge by the interview for our clients. So we'll do as many as people ask us to do. And we've discovered that after the 10th interview, unless we're doing a segmentation study where we're looking at different types of buyers, we don't learn enough new. There's like this, you know, this real great hockey stick where we're learning, learning, learning. And then by the time we get to the element, there's a drop off where maybe we'll learn something. But the sort of return on investment from the 11th interview and beyond just doesn't warrant it. It maybe doesn't sound like a lot, but if you think about it, it's at least an hour conversation, right? If, if not more. Actually, we schedule these interviews. That's another thing. If you've yeah. got a really skilled researcher, we schedule them with people for half an hour because it's huh. easier to schedule it. True. But most buyers, we can't get them off the phone. <laughs> They're finally being heard and understood. And they don't, exactly. they don't want to stop telling you what, what they went through. Yeah. We Having schedule someone a listen. half an hour and most of our interviews last at least 40 minutes. Some of them go up to an hour. Sure. Oh, that's fascinating. Now I want to go do that. I want to go interview some people. That's exciting. 
You know, and it worked. And that was my purpose. Yeah. Like uh, all the magic, just even talking to me and me and I wasn't pretending those are my real answers. And, and, you know, the three or four nuggets we got just from that casual conversation. And I purchased it you know, multiple years ago. So, oh man, with the, the treasures you could unlock by having some recent buyer within a year, you know, um, a year sooner, um, buyers yeah. and not just your own buyers, like you said, but people that have bought maybe something else. If they're willing Not for to your competitors or yeah. just state, you know, like a lot of companies, their biggest competitor is the status quo. <laughs> true. True. It's easy to just keep doing what we're doing now. It's not making us better, but it's not making us worse. So we're just going to keep doing that. That's fascinating. Yeah. So people that people that thought about it and then stopped, why did they stop? So it's, it's really, I'm telling you, you're right, Casey. I'm glad you saw that because I, sometimes I say that this work is almost like cheating. Sure. Because, you know, once you know what the buyers want, then we just have to tell them, tell them, Help give them, them the answers it. that are useful. Yeah. Yeah. All it, that stuff. So my book is dedicated. Literally, when I was literally. writing the book, you know, Wiley came in and they said, oh, you need to write a dedication. I was so tired of writing. I was like, oh, just go away. <laughs> and I was, it was probably partly my mood and partly that I get a little, you know, I do have a little edge these days. And I, yes. <laughs> so I dedicated my book. It literally says this book is dedicated not to my dogs, not to my husband, but this book is dedicated to every marketer who questions the wisdom of making stuff up. Mm. Questions the wisdom. Love making stuff up. I think that that's the place to call it a day. That that's beautiful. The power. I, I need to go I need to end this. I need to go start interviewing people right now. So there you go. Thank you so much for this. Uh everyone, you've heard buyerpersona.com. Uh the book, the link to the book on there. Is there an audible version of that? Is there like a Oh, no, Wiley hasn't published an auto audio audible version. Yeah. All right. They, Old school. they own it. So Get the highlighters out, everybody. Go get that. Hit up the buyerpersonas.com. Thank you so much again uh, for uh, for coming. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Casey. It was, it was a pleasure, I assure you. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.